Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 1st, 2021, including Casey Hudson has a brand new studio, Remedy is working on a new game set in the Control universe, could Bloober Team be working on a Silent Hill revival, and more. raining over here is it raining over there it's raining here welcome to xbox on guys episode 108 for the week of july 1st more than halfway through the year now so probably time to start thinking about that game of the year watch just kidding i feel i don't know if i've already seen some people talking about their game of the year pick so far crazy to think that 2021 is already half over but you know what i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be a hater and uh pick on the people doing that because you know what i think this past week, I may have discovered my game of the year, or at least game of the year so far. Let's be honest. There's about a 99% chance Halo Infinite is going to be my game of the year. Pretty much the only way Halo Infinite won't be my game of the year is if it gets delayed into 2022. And even then, it still might be my game of the year for 2021. But until Halo Infinite actually launches, I think I may have found my 2021 game of the year so far. So far, keyword. But uh, yeah, welcome to another week, guys. Let's start out with... Um, our corrections, comments, whatnot. Now, this week I don't have any really corrections, but there is something I do want to address on Wednesday as the day I'm recording this podcast. IGN has uh, uploaded episode 500 of their Xbox podcast, Podcast Unlocked, and the only reason why I'm pimping and plugging that show is because they had Phil Spencer on the show this week, and uh, he talked about a whole bunch of news. Not too surprising because Phil Spencer's actually, for a man so busy with such a big position, he, he uh, sure does find... The time for us little guys as podcasters and stuff and and appears on fan podcasts quite a bit which is really awesome but uh anyway this week he was on ign for ign's xbox podcast for what feels like the like 20th or billionth time yeah it was a i haven't had a chance to listen to it yet i just want to make you guys aware that it is out there so you can go and check that out probably an interesting listen there's a story kind of floating around uh from some sound bites from that from that interview or from that episode where phil spencer basically talks about how i assume they, they get in the conversation of like the kind of pressure on 343 to deliver with halo infinite and the kind of pressure riding on this game to bring halo back to its former glory and its former form of respect among both the halo community and the gaming community at large and so i assume that's kind of the context in which they were talking about this but a lot of quotes and sound bites coming out from this this podcast episode where, where phil spencer basically just says you know halo is going to be around for the next 10 plus years. Like we, we talked about Halo Infinite being a platform. Xbox has mentioned that Halo Infinite is a platform. It's not a game that's one and done release and you move on. It's going to be kind of like a, a game that continues to get new story content, new multiplayer content, so it will live and breathe in that way. And basically Phil, what Phil Spencer says is, yeah, Halo Infinite is going to be what we want it to be, regardless of whether or not it is, you know, the game that lights the world on fire or just another Halo. It seems like is, is really what he's is saying, basically saying that 343 is here to make Halo and Halo is here to stay. Don't don't worry too much about whether it's a 85 on Metacritic or a 95 or if it's, a, you know, received as like 
a good Halo game or a great Halo game or a middle of the road Halo game, you know. So don't don't worry too much about that. It's kind of his response, and to which I think is I, I kind of appreciate that level of candor because it is it is like saying, hey, listen, remember at the end of the day, it's less so about what like IGN and Kotaku and a couple YouTubers with a lar- large audiences have to say about the quality of the game. What really matters is. Are people buying the game? Are people playing the game? Remember, the multiplayer is free to play. Are a bunch of people jumping on board? Are they having fun? Are they sticking around? Are they buying battle passes? Are they in it? Are they getting engaged with the content? And that's really what it's about. So I do I do appreciate that level of candor, but I just want to put that out there. Interesting interesting story. Obviously, a podcast probably worth checking out, so want to put that out there. I, I plan on listening to it sometime this weekend, but that's the first thing I wanted to address. Now, guys... Without any more pimping of other podcasts, of which I am not a part of, let's let's actually jump into my podcast, where we talk about Xbox, but let's be honest, we talk about a whole lot of other stuff. Speaking of other stuff, let's get into your, com- uh, your comments, shoutouts, and whatnot from YouTube. Remember, if you ever want to comment on the show, you head on over to YouTube.com. You look up Second Best Gaming, and there you'll find the Xbox on Playlist. Click on that, you'll see the latest episode. Always leave a comment on the latest episode. Don't don't be doing some cute shit. Don't be going like, oh, episode 38. I'm going to leave it. I have a comment for Jesse. I want to know where babies come from. But I don't want to leave that comment on episode 108, the latest episode of, of Xbox on Podcast. I, I'm feeling cute today, so I'm going to leave that comment on episode 38. And I'm going to go, hey, dumbass. No one thinks you're cute. No one's entertaining this stupidity. And I'm going to ignore your comment. I'm going to move on. I'm going to pull comments from episode 108 because I live in the here and now, not in the past, okay? I'm not like that no more, okay? I'm not that emo. I don't look back. I look forward, you bitch. So remember that. You can say anything you want. You'll get right on the air. I don't care as long as it's kind of respectful to one another. That's good. You can say anything you want. Ask any question. Don't be afraid to voice your opinion, your questions, your concerns, your thoughts, your oppositions to things I say on the show. Remember, you can say nice things like, Jesse, thank you so much for caring about the audio fidelity and the quality of this podcast so much so that you're willing to podcast without a ceiling fan on you're willing to sweat your ass off just to make sure this podcast sounds as good as it can possibly sound i appreciate that thank you jesse that's a nice comment to leave or you can leave a mean comment like jesse i don't give a shit if the ceiling fan is off and if you got to keep it all nice and quiet in your room and you're hot and sweaty while you podcast you don't have a reason to take your shirt off you podcast with a shirt on so that all of us can sleep nice and sound at night knowing that creepy guys like aren't like you aren't running around half naked okay fair enough okay but uh go ahead leave those comments you guys our first one this week comes from my brother josiah I, i try not to ever read him first because i don't want you guys to ever feel like i'm giving favoritism to family but i really did feel like this was the comment to kick off this week's episode with so suck it josiah says Hey, ex-boners, I found out how we could win the console war. We need to do what Google and Coke did. Soda is just called Coke. Web searches are just called Googling. If we just call gaming Xbox, we win. So I, I like that line of thinking, I, especially especially the example of search engines. You know, I'm a big Bing user. You guys know that. I, I often promote my usage of Bing because, let's just be honest, if you've ever actually used Bing instead of just memeing it because I know it's funny to hate on, you would know that Bing is actually a superior search engine to Google. It's just that one is so incredibly ubiquitous that there's no, there's no chance anything else could ever really rival it. But uh, yeah, there we go. When people want to look something up, they don't say search an internet uh, inquiry or a, a web, uh, um, an aggregate site or a web browser um, or sorry, a, a searching database website, a client or something. Everyone just says, yeah, 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 Google it, right? 
And uh, I, I agree that we should do that with gaming. That's that's a good way to get Xbox at the forefront of gamers' minds is to stop referring to it as console gaming or uh, you know video games or um, whatever you know this versus that. Let's just call it all Xbox. So it's like. What are you going to do this week? Don't say, oh, I'm going to chill at home and play some games. No, say, I'm going to go home and play Xbox. It's like, oh, what did you do when your family came over? Oh, we, we played Mario Kart. We, we, we sat around the couch, played some Xbox, you know, Mario Kart, Super Smash Bros., some nice couch co-op games. And just, who cares if it's correct? Just call it all Xbox. But the problem with that is, and I'll poke some logic in your hole, or poke some poke a hole in your logic, is that Nintendo kind of already claimed that ubiquity, I'd, I'd argue, back in the 90s, because... I mean, Josiah, we have the same mother. I would I'd argue that uh, you experience this alongside myself. That whenever, whenever an, an out of touch, an unfamiliar, an un, a non gaming parent, you know, one of those parents that just aren't cool enough to understand gaming. They're just they just don't have what it takes to be hip and hang out with uh, hang out with the likes of Solid Snake. So th- those parents would say things like, "Oh, you darn kids." Shut up and go play your 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 Game Boy. Go play your Nintendo. Oh, kids, they never get outside these days. They just want to sit around the TV and play their Nintendo. Oh, kids, these days they never want to go sneak alcohol from their dad's from their dad's man den and and go play with the boys down the road, throwing rocks at the at the train cars and drinking on beer. Then oh nope, nope, they'd rather just play their play their Nintendo. They'd play their they'd play their Game Boy, and so I'd argue Nintendo kind of already did that back in the day. Now I think, especially with the diversification of how we play games through you know PlayStation being a really really big and powerful brand, uh, Xbox existing as well as a strong contender, PC just being a big space for gaming, and of course mobile. I would say that we've gotten to a point where Nintendo is less ubiquitous. I think a lot of general people are more familiar with brands like Xbox or PlayStation, but. Still, Nintendo did have that for a long time, where it was like, "Oh, there's a, there's an, there's a Nintendo." So, to to not only try and get gamers to start referring to everything as 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 Xbox instead of gaming or PlayStation or Nintendo, but to also get you know the general public, that's that's a big hurdle to overcome, especially when. Xbox still is in a solid third place compared to the other two in terms of brand uh, value and, and, and awareness. So, do want to mention that. But Dead Captain James does want to say he he wants to add into what you're saying. He says, "Cool, I'm going to be Xboxing today. Happy B Day!" Oh, thank you, thank you, Dead Captain James. That's of course my brother, not me. I don't have a birthday. I was born in a test tube. Eric Masson says Nintendo Switch is my favorite Xbox console. So, you, you, here's a couple applications. Of how this of how this could be used. I hope you guys do understand what Josiah was going for. But yeah, I I'm all for it. We just call it all Xbox now. Although I will say, just as a side note, in in reference to parents, you know, just frustratingly yelling at their kids and being like, oh, "Get off your Game Boy and go do your homework or whatever." Our mom used to, uh, growing up, our mom used to confuse Game Boy with Playboy. And she used to always tell us, like, oh, get off that Playboy or, or get out of my face. Go play your Playboy or something. And so I, I want to put that out there. If you ever listen to the show and you go, Jesse, you know, this is a nice podcast, but you're kind of a weird fucking guy. You're kind of a weird dude. Who who raised you? How wh- What made you this way? I just I don't want to blame anyone. I don't want to put the blame on anyone. I just want to put out the facts and let you kind of take that information in and do with it what you will. But I do want to just let you know. My mother used to tell me when I was five years old, you know, I, I, you, you play on your Playboy too much, or, or get out of my face, you're, you guys are making too much noise, go to your rooms, play your Playboys. So, 
Could explain a lot. Now, our next comment here comes from Mr. Miggy, the one and only Mr. Miggy, who says, How do I go about sliding into your DMs? Slanty, smiley, weird little emoji face. Uh, I just recently uninstalled Sea of Thieves, not realizing that not realizing that they do have a hidden single player mode and now the new Pirates Life update. Maybe next year I'll give it a third try. Also, I recently just played a bunch of Halo multiplayer. I think my favorite is Halo 4, especially at 120 FPS. With 5 though, I just wish I could use the same button layout as the Master Chief Collection. The closest I got was using Recon. Well, Mr. Miggy, as far as sliding into my DMs, I don't know if that was like some facetious comment there or what, but if you really want to reach out to me directly, you can always hit me up on Twitter.com, you know, uh, at Jesse DeRosa. That's right. I recently changed from the second best branding because you guys forced me to finally take the two seconds to figure out how to do that. So Twitter at Jesse DeRosa. You could always message me there. You can email the show, I guess, if you wanted. Uh, the email for this this podcast is at secondbestrock. Or sorry, secondbestrock at gmail.com. That's the that's just my YouTube Google account that I use to make my YouTube whatever. Um, so, you know, any of those ways you can reach out to me. But Mr. Miggy, more importantly, I, I, first of all, I get what you're saying with Sea of Thieves. It's it's kind of annoying. It is kind of this thing of like, oops, I missed all the cool stuff. I guess I'll just get around to it next time I get around to it. But as for your Halo comment here, I find this a little a little interesting here because you say, uh, maybe this is a little bit of a controversial comment here, but you say you think your favorite Halo multiplayer is Halo 4. Now, listen, I'm not going to get mad at you. I, I, don't, I don't take any issue with that comment saying that your favorite Halo multiplayer is Halo 4, especially because you can play on 120 FPS. And I agree, that, that makes a huge difference. Halo feels so good at 120 FPS, especially FOV slider pretty high up. Ooh, I love that, dude. I can't go back now. I used to play Halo 5 as my as my regular Halo multiplayer game, but ever since the Series X came out, I'll be honest, I mostly play Halos 2, 3, and 4 on Master Chief Collection. Highest frame rate and in, in pretty much almost all, this, all the way up on that FOV slider. I love it. It's beautiful. It's really, really fun. I, so I get what you're saying there. But Halo 4 is your favorite Halo multiplayer game. That is a controversial take to a lot of a lot of Halo fans. They would argue that Halo 4 is probably objectively the worst Halo multiplayer just because, not campaign, but multiplayer specifically because that was the Halo that had loadouts and, and Spartan abilities that carried over from Reach and things like that. People were really not too happy with Halo 4's multiplayer. Now, I personally... I think Halo 4 multiplayer is very good, very underappreciated, some of the best multiplayer in, in the franchise, so I think that's a solid choice if you ask me, but uh, you might want to watch who you say that kind of thing around because you might you might get yourself, you might get your lights punched out, that's all, that's all I'm saying there, guy. Also, it's, it's funny you mentioned the thing about Halo 5 being hard to play because you can't adjust the controls. I run into that issue now, too, because Halo 5 actually has, Halo 5, in my opinion, has the best control setup of any Halo game. But the problem is it's so unconventional for a Halo game that even though it's, I think, an improvement over previous Halo games, because we live in a world where Halo is this franchise where you don't forget the old one and you only play the new one, you constantly play all of them, it, it makes Halo 5 difficult to play because I still play Halo 2, I still play Halo 3, I still play Halo Reach, you know? Um, so it's it's hard for me to constantly jump from Halo 2's control scheme to Halo 5's control scheme to Halo 4's control scheme. Most of the other ones, the differences are minor. It's like a different button here or there. But Halo 5 is a very conventional, modern FPS shooter kind of setup where you scope in with, with the left trigger instead of the right stick. And like you got, you know, your thruster on the B button and you got reload with X instead of right bumper. So it is a little unconventional and you can, 
You can fuck around with the controls a bit there, Mr. Mickey. But again, the game's mechanics and things are so different that even if you did, it, it is kind of a, t- a, a tough one to deal with. So I, I, I relate to what you're saying there. But yeah, Mr. Mickey, thank you for writing in. I, oh, I, one, one last thing that this I do want to mention, because my brother actually sent me this a few weeks ago. I didn't want to bring it up on the show because E3 and all the big news happening, it just there wasn't really time for it. I really wish I had the article handy, but he sent me this article. I forget what fucking outlet did this, but they ran a bunch of surveys like to like random gamers, like an assortment it was like over a thousand gamers so it was a good sample size and it was a percentage of people who play halo casually and people who consider themselves diehard halo fans as well as the staff of that game news outlet and god i really wish i could remember i don't think it was i don't remember which which outlet it was but basically what they were saying the point of the article was to say you know like obviously halo is pretty divisive among fans people think like the, the general consensus is like Halo 2 and 3, yay. Halo 4 and 5, go fuck yourself. But, you know, when you really do the statistics and see the kind of who's playing what and how people felt about about each Halo game on a, on a more of a survey one-on-one basis, the kind of data they came back with basically suggested that, as you would usually suggest with games, with each release, people just tend to like the newest one the best. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of their survey data came back and again, surveying a lot of people who are gamers, Halo gamers, and then just more casual people, as well as staff at this website. What they got a lot of data suggesting was that even though the conversation in the little inner circle, the little bubble on Twitter and on the internet is always saying like Halo 3 was the best, Bungie was the best, fuck 343, they screwed everything up, Halo 5 was a, it was a, was a complete failure, despite that being the conversation, when you just kind of survey general people who just played the game and enjoyed it and moved on with their lives because they're grown-ass adults, the general consensus was like, yeah, Halo 5 is the best because it's the newest, and Halo 4 was pretty good, and Halo 3 was pretty good, but Halo 2, despite being great for the time, is a little antiquated, so I don't think it's as good as 4 and 5, and I don't think 1's as good as 3 and 4 and 5, and I don't think... And that was kind of the general consensus. It was like people really liked Reach and 4 and 5 and 3 a lot, and I, I think the ranking, I God, I can't remember what the ranking was. I think it was something like, the ranking was something like four, reach, five, three, or two, three, one, or something like that, was how the poll data came out. It was something kind of along those lines. But I remember, you know, my brother sent it over to me saying, this is really interesting, you should bring it up on the podcast. And I thought, I definitely want to bring this up, because it's just such a perfect example of how, because, you you know, I always complain about how, you know, the, the big issue with Halo Infinite is that 343 and Microsoft felt the need to bend the knee and try to appease those fanboys by backing off the story of Halo 5, backing off the art direction of 343's Halo, and kind of trying to go back to what Halo fans have been asking for. Let's get rid of this feature. Let's get rid of that. Let's go back to this art style. Let's go back to this kind of story. Let's stop taking so many liberties with the franchise. Let's stop re-envisioning it based on what we believe Halo to be, and let's start trying to recreate what they believe Halo is. And that's kind of a lot of my... That's pretty much been my only criticism of Halo Infinite thus far, is that it seems like so much of what they're doing is trying to backpedal to appease these fanboys when, you know, articles like this show that most people actually don't give a shit. You know, most people in 2015 got Halo 5 and played it in, you know, again, these are working grown-ass adults who have real lives, you know, like Joe Schmo, let's say John Doe 
in 2015 got Halo 5 when it came out and he goes oh I love Halo I played the second one when it came out I played the third one a lot in high school played the multiplayer all the time I played 4 when it came out it was pretty great uh, I'm excited for the next Halo and then Halo 5 came out and you know one day he got off his day job and went home to his apartment or his house where he pays rent or a mortgage because he's a functioning human who contributes to society and he and he went home and he played Halo 5 and he said, wow, this is a really good game. You can tell it's really well polished, really well put together. It feels good to play. The game's fun, engaging. The art is really good. The graphics are good. What a nice game. And he enjoyed it. And then he went back to work and he went back to his wife and his kids and his and his actual life, his friends, his family, and going about living a normal adult healthy life and uh, contributing to society. Where, and, and that's indicative of the silent majority, which is the people who played the game were like, what a cool game. Move on with my life. And of course, what we actually see, you know, in the Reddit forums and whatnot is is just the people who are like, listen, man, I've never uh, I've never done anything in my life other than just glue my fucking eyeballs to my phone screen to tell to make it my personal responsibility to tell each and every human being I've ever come across. Uh, Halo five sucks dick and Halo three was also shitty, but kind of good. But Halo two was a masterpiece because when Halo two came out, I had a goatee and I wore baggy blue pants and I listened to disturbed all the fucking time. And I wore sweatbands on my wrists and I, uh, I, I used to do the, the metal symbol with my fingers where I put my pinky and my index and my thumb up and showed everyone like the rock symbol and I used to drive a 2001 Dodge Charger and everyone thought I was cool and I also had sex with a girl one time and 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 that's you know that's the picture we see but the reality of the of, of the situation is most people are just like yeah Halo 5 was a good game and so I just want to put that out there I think that's really interesting you know Obviously, we always talk about, I feel like in general discourse, the conversation has evolved when when we talk about the internet to this point, right? It, in all the po- political YouTube and, and news organization and things, political people I follow, that's also the conversation. In all the game sphere that I follow, that's the conversation. In all the theme park, nerdy, Disney bullshit I follow, that's the conversation. It, I feel like discourse has generally matured to a point where most people recognize that it's like, we're in these circles, having these conversations, yelling, screaming, shaking our fists at the sky, hating on one another about these things we're so passionate about, but we represent the smallest sliver of what's actually going on. And that's how you know you're stuck in a little echo chamber of like hardcore fanboys. I mean, I'm not trying to rip on anyone except those Halo haters because goddamn, are you guys just no fun? But I just want to bring this up to say, again, here we are. It's like Halo games are fun. Like you don't have to look at Halo 4 and 5 and say, I love what they did with the art style. That's a subjective thing. You're not you're not required to like it. You're entitled to think the you're you're entitled to your opinion of Bungie's art style was better. Bungie's gameplay uh, was better, whatever. All those things can be true for you. But it just blows my mind that it's like 343 seemingly objectively made games that were pretty damn good, that people really, really enjoyed. And we've been having this conversation for the past six years now that it's been since Halo 5 came out, where it's just like, is Halo in trouble? Halo's just not what it used to be. Man, 343 really dropped the ball with Halo. What can we do to get Halo back? It's like... Well, it seems like the problem was always the inner circle and not and not the actual games themselves. But nonetheless, just thought that was an interesting article. But uh, moving on, Corey Long says, this is for anyone to answer. What game would you want to see get a sequel or a modern remake? Maybe even both. 
I would have to say Vagrant Story. Remake it. It's been a decade. Vagrant Story, that's a game I've heard the name of a million times, but I'll be honest with you, Corey, I have literally no idea what Vagrant Story is. I don't even know. Let me see if I recognize the box art if I see it. No, actually, I do. I do recognize this. The Square Socks or Square Enix, of course, RPG for PlayStation. Okay. No, I, I recognize this box art. I, I don't recognize the game, of course, but uh, action role-playing game. Look at that. Oh, yeah. So, Corey, that's a, that's a good response. Even though I, I'm not really familiar with Vagrant Story, I got to right off the bat give you credit and say that's a good choice because, and this isn't to hate on PlayStation, but anything that's from the PlayStation 1 era is a great candidate for a remake because, goddamn, the PlayStation 1 is the ugliest fucking looking, like, the games from the PlayStation 1 era are the ugliest looking games. And, that, I mean, that's just, you know, victim of that transition to 3D era era. Nothing more, really. But god damn, do PS1 games just look ugly as shit. You know, you can go back and play a Super Nintendo game. Still looks good. You can go back and play an Xbox 360 game. Might not look great, but it's serviceable. You can go back and play a PS2 or an Xbox game. You'd be like, oh, this would be better if we put it in HD, but I can deal with it. You know? You go back and you play like an N64 or especially a PlayStation 1 game. God, like, I like let me know in advance so I can pray for you before you boot up that thing because... PlayStation 1 games look and run like shit. So that's that's actually a really good point, a really good choice. Yeah, that's and that's a great question. I, I, I love that. I would love for you guys, you know, if you want to write in. That's a, that's a fun topic to discuss. I would like to hear some of your guys' responses. I'm sure you have some really good ones. I personally don't really have a good one. I, I thought for a couple minutes about this. You guys know how fucking lame I am. I'm, I, I feel like I'm so predictable at this point. I'm just like, you're like, oh, what, what's a game you like? I'm like, Sonic. You're like, what's a place you like? I'm like, Epcot. Uh, what's the thing you put in your mouth? Uh, Taco Bell. And you're like, okay, I got it. I feel like if you uh, missed a week or two of Xbox on, you could basically be like, oh man, I want to catch up. I'm a few weeks behind. Let's see. Uh, I missed last week's episode. I probably just talked about Taco Bell and Epcot. Okay, next. Oh, I missed the one from two weeks ago. God, what do you talk? I probably just talked about Sonic the Hedgehog and Lightning McQueen. Yeah, you're probably right. You probably skipped this episode right now and you probably already know what I'm going to say. Anyway, Epcot, Xbox, Nintendo, pizza. No, but Corey, my my personal response, if if I may, um, I have a couple of them. Uh, my just to get my weeby ones out of the way that you guys don't care about. The Nintendo Wii has a handful of good Sonic games. I say good with quotes. Good Sonic games that I would really love to play that are just stranded on the Nintendo Wii as most things on from the Nintendo Wii era are. And I would really love to see these games come to modern consoles, get proper controller support, HD versions. Um, like Sonic Colors is, is was the big one, and thank God we're finally getting that. So soon you'll be able to finally play Sonic Colors on an Xbox in HD with a regular gamepad, no motion controls or any of that kind of stuff. Perfect. But Sonic and the Black Knight is a Sonic spinoff game that... A lot of Sonic fans, myself included, have a, a similar consensus on, which is this would be a very, very fun on-rails, arcade Sonic game if it weren't for the fact that you were required to use motion controls because the motion controls in this game were unresponsive and shitty and tiring. And if you could just, like, move forward with an analog stick and attack with face buttons, like, the game would be infinitely better. And Sonic and the Black Knight was a game that... You know, a spin-off game unrelated to the main storyline, just a stupid, goofy, fun little spin-off game. But it had a really cool setting where it like transported Sonic and his friends to like the Arthur and the Black Knight kind of medieval story setting. And it was just kind of cool being Sonic the Hedgehog running around with a sword and slashing the fuck out of knights and stuff. It was it was fun. And it would be very fun if you could just play it with modern 
regular controls that are responsive and usable. And then, of course, maybe, you know, put it in HD, give it a nice frame rate boost. But yeah, that's that's a game that is a 4 out of 10 that could easily be like a 6 or 6.5 out of 10 if you just gave it a regular control scheme and ported it to modern consoles. So easy. I I don't think we'll ever see that happen, but that, that would be my first choice. My second choice would have to be Mercenaries 1 and 2. You know, speaking of, speaking of Pandemic, the guys that used to make the Star Wars Battlefront games that also made Destroy All Humans. I think Mercenaries 1 and 2, the, the, the uh, what is it, World, Playground of Destruction and World in Flames, those games were so fucking good. They're just massive sandboxes where you run around, blow shit up, the objectives are fun, the missions are fun, the story is fun, the characters are goofy and fun. I really, really, really love the Mercenaries games. And, you know, rest in peace, Pandemic. You know, a lot of those guys actually work at 343 now, uh, working on Halo, but... You know, rest in peace, Pandemic. They were one of my favorite double-A goofy developers from back in the day. And they put out some really, really good stuff. And Mer- Mercenaries, the, the two Mercenary games are among my favorite games that they ever created. And I would just, I would really love, you know, in a world where we have the the Coke medias with all the various smaller teams and publishers and the THQ Nordics and whatnot, I, I would love to see them take the mercenaries license and re-release them. I mean, they literally did that with destroy all humans. So why not, you know, do mercenaries one and two bundle or release them each separately for 40 bucks a pop. I would be so into that. I would be like, so all over that. If you just take the first two mercenaries games, you know, up them, touch them up a little bit, make them a little prettier, cleaner, easy to play a little more accessible for modern audience. Oh my God. I would go all over that. What, what great games, but thankfully I think both of those games are backwards compatible. So it's not totally lost to time, but those are two Xbox-specific games that I would really love to see remakes of. As far as sequels, I, I don't know, man. Uh, sequels, make a Sonic Unleashed Part 2. Please. Sonic fans will tell you they want Sonic Adventure 3. Fuck them. I want Sonic Unleashed Part 2. Oh, also make a Disney Infinity 4.0 and uh, no ketchup, no mustard. Thank you, Corey. Wes H. writes in and says, Now, Jesse, I understand you're taking some heat because of your E3 comments, but personally, I could not agree more with what you were saying. Halo looked better than I was expecting. I'm super pumped for Redfall, although I know you feel less optimistic about it, and I'm thankful to have Game Pass because a lot of really great titles will be on there this year alone. But where the hell's Fable, State of Decay, Hellblade, Avowed? I would have rather seen what progress they've made with those titles than 30-second clips of random games that won't come out for another four years. I feel like it's Xbox worrying about their own ego rather than their fans and what they actually want. All in all, I gave the showcase a 7 out of 10 because I'm really excited about the 2021 lineup, but was just left with a lot of questions. And Wes, I think that's kind of my thing too, is I was just left with a lot of questions. It's like it's not that I wasn't excited about what we saw, it's that I couldn't just I couldn't just see what we saw and then not be left with a bunch of questions in addition to that. And that's kind of my main takeaway from it as well, right? I, I do disagree with you a little bit here where you say, like, the games that they showed that won't be coming out for another four years. The games they showed this year are games that are coming out, you know, in all fairness within the next, like, six to 18 months. So they did show us some stuff that's rather, you know, relatively releasing soon. But it, the, my my bigger gripe was, like, why did you announce the other stuff in the first place if you had no intention of talking about it the next year or the next year or the next event or whatever? Because it's just it's just a bunch of blue balling. And, and yeah, I, th- I think I think you get down to the crux of it with that one statement. You said it's Xbox worrying about their own ego rather than what the fans actually want. And that's actually that's right and wrong. I think it's Xbox worrying about their own image and their ego and their whole 
their 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 fragile uh, attitude about the whole Xbox doesn't have any games thing. It's that. It's them beating the hell out of that argument to the point where there's no logical way you could ever make that that point. You know that that was the point of it. Uh, but as far as you know, rather than what the fans actually want, I guess we stand corrected, both of us, because it seems like the fans did want this. Overwhelmingly, people were really pleased with this. So hey, if the fans are happy, what what else matters? I guess so. Uh, but anyway, I thank you for writing in, Wes. Thanks for having my back. You're a good guy. Although you still gotta, you still gotta, you still gotta apologize to to Mojo. Count Skyla writes in and says, "There's an interview circulating with Phil Spencer about Halo Infinite's release. Paraphrasing, here's what he, he says: something like, quote, there's a lot of big games out this year, and we're trying to pick the best spot, so we have narrowed down to weeks, not months, and everyone can, everyone is very confident in the holiday release window." Uh, Jez Corden from Windows Central also said the lack of release date was related to making sure that it's slotted correctly around Battlefield and Call of Duty. Also, can't wait to jump back into Sea of Thieves again to play the new content. I enjoyed Sea of Thieves, but I also thought it was just a smidge too open-ended for me. Looking forward to playing an actual story. We'll count Skyla to to take out the easy part. Yeah, that's everyone's. That 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 is the perpetual issue with Sea of Thieves, right? It's just how... It's too open-ended, but yeah, if you, like I said last week, look up a guide or two to just kind of get an idea of where to find the story missions, how to approach them, how to, how they kind of operate. And once you get a feel for that, I think you'll be pretty set in terms of like wrapping your brain around how am I supposed to approach this? How do I play this? How can I enjoy this? And you'll find yourself having a good time. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, as for the rest of your comment, now I saw this going around as well. And that's why I didn't put it in the corrections in the comments or the correction section up top is because I know you commented about it. So I wanted to get to it here, but yes, uh, now I want to believe this and jazz has a great track record. We, I mean, we cite windows central all the fucking time. We're about to do it this week. But again, at the same time, I'm like, well, why would you be worried about slotting Halo around Call of Duty and Battlefield when when Call of Duty, you know, is going to be Call of Duty no matter what? You know, whether Halo comes out right before, right after Call of Duty, Call of Duty is a monster all unto itself, and w- what can you fucking do? And with Battlefield, uh, the problem is that's a $70 multiplayer-only game that's slightly more niche than, like, Halo and Call of Duty because Halo and Call of Duty are a lot more pick-up-and-play and accessible and friendly to all, whereas... Battlefield's a little more technical and a little more, you know, a little more skill-based, a little more involved, you know, than than games like Halo and, and Call of Duty. So between it being a little more hardcore, us knowing it comes out in October and knowing that shortly before Halo Infinite was even shown this year. So, and then also the fact that Battlefield is a multiplayer-only $70 game. I feel like that's kind of a bum excuse, right? Because at least with the fact with Battlefield, I think there's no reason why they couldn't have picked a date, right? Uh, if you, you know, if you really want to argue Call of Duty, that's fine. I get it. R- remember when? So I mean, if I I can understand Microsoft's apprehension because of Call of Duty, because you can go back to Halo 3's release and see how that kind of plays out. You know, in in 2007, Halo 3 comes out in September. It's the biggest fucking game in the world. Everyone's freaking out. Big. It's. It was literally the biggest entertainment launch in history at the time, and it was amazing. Everyone's having a great time. Halo was great shit. And then a month and a half later, in, in November, Call of Duty Four: Modern Warfare came out, and that's the game that changed the world of gaming forever. And it, it wasn't like a overnight. It, was, it blew up. It felt like. Oh, I guess technically it was, but. It felt like with Call of Duty 4 that was like, oh, the reviews are really strong. And, oh, a couple of pe- people played it and said, oh, you got to try this game. It's great. And then it felt like this burn of, like, over the next month or two, 
Call of Duty just kept growing and growing and growing. People just kept talking and talking and talking. And Halo 3 just kind of like quieted down. And for the first time ever, it was just like, oh, there's this other. And then you go to like 2010 when Halo Reach came out. And it was like, yeah, Halo Reach came out in September. It was a big deal. Everyone was happy. And then a month and a half later in November, Call of Duty Black Ops came out. And that's still like the the best or one of the very best selling Call of Duties of all time. And again, it was just like, even though Halo Reach was all the talk of the town and everyone loved it for a month and a half, the second the second Call of Duty Black Ops came out, it was just like Call of Duty, Call of Duty, Call of Duty, and it just stayed that way. So we even saw that. I'll stop after this, but like it's happened many times before. But you know, 2012, Halo 4 came out in November. Everyone's like, "Oh shit, the new Halo's fucking awesome." It was like two or three days later, Black Ops 2 came out, and I was just like. Okay, Black Ops, you know, although I will say back in 2012, it felt a little more split. It felt like Halo and, Sh- and Call of Duty were sharing a little bit more of the conversation at-, at the same time back then. But this is a reoccurring thing that happens. It's like Halo comes, everyone gets excited, everyone plays it, we're having a good time. Call of Duty comes right after, boom, bye Halo. And I can understand if Microsoft's like, yeah, yeah, we want to, we want Halo Infinite to feel like it can breathe. Well, if you really want that to happen, if that's really what you're after, Microsoft, I think the answer is to release Halo Infinite in like February. Straight up. I'm not I'm not suggesting that they delay it, and I don't hope that they delay it for that reason, but if that is their main concern, is to kind of distance yourself from Call of Duty, get yourself some breathing room, some press time, and some hands-on with the audience before Call of Duty gets there or wait till after Call of Duty's calmed down. You're not going to get that within a couple of days or weeks in, in, in November. It's just not going to happen. Call of Duty will likely come out at the tail end of October or more likely mid-November. Call of Duty almost always comes out mid-November. So you say holiday 2021. You want to come out. You don't You don't want to get lost in the shuffle. So what does that mean? Does that mean, you know, we know Battlefield is late October. So does that mean you want to go in between Battlefield and Halo or that's what you want to avoid? You want to go... You want to go, I guess you said holiday, so you can't go before Battlefield. That would be fall. So what, you're going to launch Halo at like the tail end of November or early December? Again, it's just like, what are you doing here? Remember, Halo Infinite has the advantage of its multiplayer is free to play. And yes, Call of Duty has Warzone, which is of course free to play. But the multiplayer suite in Call of Duty is locked behind a paywall. The multiplayer like Team Deathmatch shit. The multiplayer, which is the only experience in Battlefield, is locked behind a $70 paywall. So Halo Infinite says, no, 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 you can go ahead, play the multiplayer, free, free to download. And then Halo multi- Halo Infinite also says, oh, campaign? Uh, yeah, $15 a month for Game Pass. You can, you can enjoy it. You don't have to spend 60 bucks. Whereas Battlefield says, we don't even have a campaign. And Call of Duty says, 70 bucks, you can get our campaign. So Halo Infinite already has a price advantage in so many ways I don't know that they need to be as concerned about that, but, you know, like I said, Jess Corden's right about a lot of things. I don't want to try to demean him here. I just, I don't know how I feel about that argument, you know, but uh, we'll see. You know, I mean, listen, it's, at the time you're listening to this, it's July. We're a few months away from this game coming out. July, we got till August, September, October, November. We've got like four months you know, we'll be playing Halo Infinite in the next four or five months, so whatever. We'll know very soon. Eric Masson, let's, let's go a little faster. We're going a little slow today. Eric Masson says, I wonder if Stalker 2 is going to have an option for dialogue to be in English. I'm, I, it, You know what? I'm sure it will be, but that's an interesting point. You say, 
I get that it's set in Chernobyl and that the Russian dialogue therefore makes sense artistically, but I would personally rather not have to rely on subtitles to understand what the hell is going on. Still going to play it regardless, it looks really... It looks heckin' deadly, but I hope there's an option for uncultured swine like myself to listen in English and just pretend they're speaking Russian. Eric, I can relate. I, I know the feeling, but like, I don't know. I I don't know. I, obviously, I don't know if it will have an English option or not, but I don't know. Like, don't don't let that deter you too much. You know, when I started playing the Yakuza games, I was like, oh, it has to be in Japanese? Fuck. And real quick, you get over that when you play Yakuza. It's really fast. You're just like, fuck it, I'm reading English subtitles, the game's in Japanese, and now I wouldn't have it any other way. Now if you try to give me a Yakuza game and you're like, yeah, 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 you can, you can do English, I'll be like, no, fucking switch that shit to Japanese. I play Yakuza in Japanese with English subtitles, you know? So let give the game a, give the game a try, you know? It may, it, it may add to the experience. For me, I find that's the case, with, uh, especially with Yakuza, but, you know, it's not, not the end of the world. We've got to read a little bit, but I, I understand. It's nice to have the option. I'm playing Scarlet Nexus right now, and... I chose English dialogue instead of Japanese, so a little bit of a hypocrite there in that regard. But I understand where you're coming from, Eric. I'm gonna I'm gonna hope and pray for your sake that you can play that game in English. You also say, by the way, Jesse, you should change the name of your channel and make it Xbox Series Jess. Eric, I both love and hate that name. Love it because it makes it, it's 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 punny. It's it works. It's cute. Hate it because I don't I don't go by Jess. I'm not upset that you you said that. I, I get the, the point you're trying to make, the little joke you're trying to make. And it's a good one. I like it. But I also don't like it. Dead Captain James writes in and says, The tall tales get way better with each one. The sl- story slowly gets flushed, uh, flushed out. It's not mind-blowing or anything, but it's a nice carrot for people like me to chase. I think I'll be done with the game again after I complete all of them, plus the Disney stuff. I'm a bit older than you, so I was, big on, I was a big Goonies kid. And the tall tales scratch that Goonies itch. Dude, I saw Goonies once when I was like seven years old at a sleepover at my friend's house. It was like a birthday party sleepover. And I just remember my friend and all his friends stayed up and watched Goonies. And I fell asleep like seven minutes into the fucking movie. And then I woke up at like the last five minutes of the movie. That's all I remember about Goonies. I remember the first five minutes, the last five minutes. And then they watched Gremlins and I fell back asleep. And that's that's actually the extent of my experience with both Goonies and Gremlins. So, yeah. But no, I, 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 I get what you're saying. Um, I, I can see that. You know, obviously, Goonies is a very, very influential movie. And uh, I, I can I can see what you mean by that. So that's cool, Dead Captain James. You're a very nostalgic person. You got, you know, Sea of Thieves is scratching that Goonies itch for you. Grounded scratching that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids itch for you. I'm glad that Xbox's first-party output is really catering to your uh, your nostalgic needs because... Damn, it sure would be nice if uh, Sega would put out some Sonic games for me. Uh, anyway, Chicago Gamer 420 says, Jesse, you must try the Elder Scrolls Online with the new Series X update. The game looks incredible now. It performs at 60 FPS in performance mode. I never really liked the game until now, but now I can't put it down. Let's make a guild of X-Boners. Chicago Gamer 420. Simply put, no. No, I won't play Elder Scrolls Online. I, I, uh, I don't want to leave you hanging or, any, or anything, so let me just be as honest with you as possible. I will never play Elder Scrolls Online. I don't care if I can go back in time to the year 2019 and Dr. Fikasha comes over to my house and says, Jesse, you got to listen to me. There's this big coronavirus. It's on the way. It's really bad shit, but you can stop it. All you got to do is get on over to your Xbox right there, download Elder Scrolls Online and start a guild. If you do this, the coronavirus will never spread and, and the world will be spared of... Two years of endless turmoil. And I would say, no. 
and I'd slam the door in his face. Go back to playing uh, fucking Disney Infinity. So, Chicago Gamer, politely, no. Mojo writes in and says, Thanks for clearing things up last week, Mr. Jesse, the dapper Disney dude, DeRosa. I appreciate it. Personally, I could care less if someone wants to troll or call names. I just would hate for it to happen to a younger or more sensitive commenter, well, like myself. Uh, any, anyway, not that's not you, that's me saying like myself. Uh, anyways, there is something that occurred to me recently in that you're from Georgia and now you live in Florida, yet you have absolutely zero accent. What gives? Are you a spy? Maybe from PlayStation. The world wants to know. Well, Mojo, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. So my family's actually from the Northeast. Uh, my parents are from Connecticut. Most of my siblings are from a mix of like Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York. So most of my family's from the Northeast United States. I was technically born in Massachusetts, but when people ask where I'm from, I always just say Georgia because I've lived in Georgia since I was like five years old. So, you know, I'm from Georgia. I'm not really from Massachusetts. I don't remember what it was like the few years I lived in Massachusetts and New York. So, uh, so there's that. There's I, I grew up in a home where everyone was very much not from the South, so I never picked up on that kind of accent. Now you might say, well, if your family's all from the Northeast, why don't you sound like one of those fucking stupid Bostonians? Well... I don't sound like one of those because God God said, I gave you enough body hair, I'll go sparingly on the accent. Maybe that's why, I don't know. But yeah, no, no one in my family has an accent. We all have very, I don't know, like the, the way I talk or my family talks, it's, I, I feel like this is the way most Americans talk. It's the very, it's the very standard flatline American accent. You know, there's the, there's like the Northern accent, there's the Southern accent, there's the surf's up dude, California accent. But I have what, I, I mean, you, you be the judge. You tell me how I sound to you, I guess. But uh, I feel like I have the very standard American accent. No, no, no frills. No, no special additions or whatever to the way I speak. It's just very standard, regular Joe Schmo English. So sorry to disappoint you if I don't sound like a Canadian or or redneck or whatever you were expecting. But also, I I, I do got. I, in defense, you know, Mojo, I don't know where you're from. You know, you could be from, you could be from fucking like uh, Mozambique for all I fucking know, you know, but I assume because you asked the question that you're not from the Southeast and you're not very familiar with states like Georgia and Florida, contrary to the stereotypes and popular belief, unless you live in like the middle of nowhere, like in the sticks, almost no one really has an accent here. Like, you know, growing up in Georgia, like in Atlanta and around Atlanta, most people just talk normal. They're, you're not gonna. You'll meet people with southern accents. Absolutely, I've met plenty of people in my in my life, being from Georgia, who I'd be like, yeah, you're a fucking redneck. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, most people in Georgia, especially if you're like in the city or in a surrounding area of the city, it's like, eh, most people just sound, you know. Also, it's like, especially here in Florida, like in Central Florida where I live, no one here's from the South. Like Central Florida's like demographic makeup is like. A lot of people from the Northeast, like people just moving here by the does, like by the millions from New York and New Jersey and those kinds of hell holes. So we have tons of that, that trash here. And then we've got, you know, people like me who come in from places like Atlanta or random places throughout the country. And then you got, we have a, a really large uh, Hispanic population, lots of Puerto Ricans and stuff like that. So again, not like your typical white podunk rednecks here. And then, you know, we have a pretty good uh, population actually here in Orlando, I'm not, not huge population, but a notable population, especially in the area I live of, of, uh, people from other countries. We have like in my neighborhood, we have a lot of, a lot of Europeans, a lot of, a lot of people from the UK that move here. So, I mean, especially like 
pre-COVID when things were like kind of all normal and I was working at my job closer to like the tourist part of town, most of the people I worked with were like, the joke in Florida is that like no one you know is actually from Florida. So like, oh my God, at my old office, like the people I worked with, I had, my manager was from Montana. My assistant manager was from New Jersey. Uh, The lady I worked next to, uh, I shared a desk near, she was from the UK and her coworker, her boss was from the UK. And then my other coworkers, we had one from Maryland, we had one from Miami and one from, I guess one from Florida. So we did it at Floridian, but like the point being like the, the makeup of, of central Florida in particular is very, very diverse. Also like, I mean, my current office, like half the funny thing is like my, my current location I work at with my company, my, in my current office, more than half the staff is from the state of New York. No, not more than half, about half the state is from New York. Five, five of the, five of the 10 people I work with at my current job are from New York. So that's, you know, what, what do you want me to say about that? So the, the only surprising thing is I don't meet more people with cra- with crazy Northeastern accents. But also, Mojo, you say, P.S. Not being the biggest first-person shooter gamer other than basic Halo, Call of Duty, Doom, I just brought I just bought Metro Exodus, the Series X Enhanced Edition, uh, with DLCs for 60 bucks. And let me tell you, the game's freaking awesome. Story and gameplay-wise, plus it's visually stunning and I highly recommend Pro. Mojo, I'm glad to hear you're enjoying that. I'll be honest, I need to give Metro Exodus another try. I played the first two and really, really uh, loved them. I played the re-release when it came to Xbox One, like back in 2014. Really loved those two games. And then when Metro Exodus came to Game Pass for the first time, I I played maybe about like 25% of it. And for whatever reason, just really wasn't feeling it. And then I got to this annoying part where I got stuck trying to explore like this tundra. And it pissed me off, so I just deleted it and didn't go back but I, I think it's one of those games where if i probably just downloaded it and tried it again when, at the right time i'd get really into it but it, it frustrates me a little bit that i was so into the first two and then it never really played through the third one but really glad to see you're enjoying it maybe maybe that those series x enhancements will bring me back who knows wes h writes in and says mojo mojo it's all about you this week mojo i would like to take some time to apologize to you your family and most importantly Second best gaming. I understand it's 2021 and joking around online can get a guy canceled. It was all in good fun and deep down it was rather, sorry, it was sheer jealousy of wanting to become second best gaming's first ever executive names editor. I was at a line. In fact, not even in in a line. A straight line that is but more of a circle. I swear an oath never to utter the L word again. Sincerely, Wes H. Mojo replied and said, all good, bro. I like that, like, real, like, don't take it too seriously response. All good, bro. And Wes H gave you, like, a really a really lengthy paragraph here about, uh, you know, just, just really owning up to the whole situation, explaining himself. But listen, guys, it's nice to see you two make up. Now, that that, that might be good enough for you two. Things might be good between the two of you. But I, I feel a little unsatisfied by this this uh, this uh, this makeup, this agree to disagree. So I think the next step, I think the next step would be for you guys to take it out to the ring. So I, uh, we're going to need you guys to fight. So let me know if you guys want to like Jake Paul pay-per-view this bullshit. But like we're going to have to, we're going to have to have some kind of Mojo versus Wes H throwdown and I don't know how to coordinate something like that, but we'll figure it out. I'm sure someone knows a thing or two, but guys, we're going to have to see you guys fight presumably to the death. So 
It's the only way to really solve this. Lethal Migraine jumps in and says, Mountain Dew tastes like they took an orange, rolled it in dirt, and added vomit. Now, Lethal Migraine, normally I wouldn't dignify that kind of comment by reading it, but my brother responded to you and said, I've never gotten a hint of orange from Mountain Dew before. It tastes completely artificial and completely amazing. And that's why I read the comment, is because that's the truth. See, the reason why I know you're not, a, why you're just a hater and not a real, you know, Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew opposer, you, you just do it for the clout, is because any half-witted Mountain Dew consumer would know that what makes Mountain Dew so great is that it doesn't taste like a fruit. It's a citrus soda, but you don't, you can't put your finger on. You don't drink Mountain Dew and go, oh, that's lemon lime. No, that's Sprite. Sprite does that shit. Sprite is so unimaginative that it puts itself in a little box and says, oh, I'm like lemon and lime, but I'm soda. It's like, okay, cool, Sprite. Go fuck yourself. You know, if I wanted lemon and lime, I'd go buy a fucking lemon and lime like Cleopatra from fucking 1937 or whenever the fuck she was from. Definitely not 1900s. And then and I go squeeze that shit in my mouth, maybe with some carbonated water because I'm a goddamn plebeian and that's the kind of taste I'm after. But no, when you have a highly sophisticated palate and you consume something like Mountain Dew, you're looking for a flavor that that Mother Nature can't provide because lemon and lime simply won't cut it. You need something more advanced. So, yes, PepsiCo builds it as a citrus soda, but notice how they never say specifically which citrus. It's because it's a citrus all unto itself. It's not lemon. It's not lime. It's not yuzu. It's not orange. It is Mountain Dew. So, Lethal Migraine, you're discrediting yourself. In fact, this even lends credence to what I was trying to explain the other week when I was kind of... When I was talking about those new Baja Flash and Baja Punch flavors, because the, my whole point was, I feel like with some of these new Mountain Dew flavors, they're 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 losing the plot a little bit with what makes Mountain Dew special, which is that the flavors always taste wholly unique. They taste like nothing you've ever had before, but also distinctively Mountain Dew at the same time. Whereas a lot of these new flavors taste like like different fruit sodas. Like the the new Mountain Dew Flash is a is a pineapple coconut like pina colada mountain dew and i love pina colada flavor like you tell me pina colada soda i'll be like hey that sounds really good i want to try that and i like this soda i think this is a good flavor of soda i've tried mountain dew the baja flash i I like the pineapple coconut but my problem is mountain dew wouldn't normally try to recreate some fruit combination in soda it would just create its own completely unique flavor that you cannot compare to anything you've ever had before and they would give it a name and, and describe it as best they could because it's Mountain Dew and there's nothing else like it. You know, you look at Voltage, it doesn't taste like blueberry or something just because it's blue. It tastes like Mountain Dew Voltage. You look at Code Red, they, they try and claim it's like Mountain Dew with a rush of cherry. No, man, it tastes like Mountain Dew Code Red because nothing else tastes like that. And that's my gripe with the new Mountain Dew flavors is it's like, oh no, that, that really does taste like a melon soda or a pineapple coconut soda or a fruit punch soda or raspberry lemonade soda it's like well that's not mountain dew because mountain dew isn't about tasting like a fruit it's about tasting like a mountain dew and so the fact that you have the audacity to try and sit here and liken mountain dew to like a shitty orange flavor tells me that you don't know what mountain dew is all about so lethal migraine shame on to you and shame on to your whole family i now curse thee and uh, your entire bloodline will now will now grow unibrows for generations to come and the only way to cure this this uh, this 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 hex that i've placed on your bloodline will be of course uh, for you to go on some fairy like quest perhaps in elder scrolls online i wouldn't know i don't play that game but uh lethal migraine you continue on you say you're where are all the games can play is completely complaint is 
invalid. Xbox released 13 exclusives last year, a ton more this year. You need to stop your silly little narrative and actually pay attention. Whining that Xbox is trying to sell consoles is odd. It's it's their business after all. Okay, Lethal Migraine. You're, you're first about them trying to sell consoles. You're taking me out of context. I said last year, hyping a bunch of games that they know full well aren't coming out for like five years to sell a new console is misleading. Obviously, it's their job to sell consoles, but that's not how you do it, you know? The fucking cigarette company's job is to sell cigarettes, but they don't, they're not supposed to go around being like, oh, little kids, little kids, if you smoke this cigarette, you will uh, grow facial hair 10 years early, and then little Sally from your classroom will fall in love with you. They don't go around to cancer patients and say, if you smoke these cigarettes, it will cure your lung cancer. No. I mean, of course, they... They were evil like that back in the day before government regulation, but the point being, just because you have a product to sell doesn't mean you should do it in a dishonest and ugly way. And hyping up a bunch of games you know full well aren't coming out for five years to sell a new console seems a little slimy and dishonest. That's what I was saying. So no shit, it's their, it's their job to sell consoles. I'm just saying, for a company that's all about you know transparency and pro-consumer and all that shit... You would think they'd be a little more, a little more honest about what they're showing and when you're getting it. That's all. I, that's that's what I was saying, Lethal Migraine. Anyway, let's wrap up with two comments from Sam Torres. He always writes long ones, but he always writes good ones. Um, Sam Torres, take it away. Wrap us up this week, please, God. Thank you. He says, "Gotta throw this in there too. No need to read the first blah 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 blah." I, I'm gonna skim through these a little bit because they are long. You say, "My son and I have gotten back into Cars 2, the video game. He he trounced me in it, but he's got good mus- muscle memory." from when he was four, and I just bought it using a blockbuster for him. Disney pulling out of game development or not having their own label sounds studio is hell. Yeah, maybe we won't get turds like the platformer Wreck-It Ralph on Nintendo Wii, but we miss out on those really great games like Cars 2 or Toy Story 3, and those games bring the experience a step further at home. Disney does have the money and the talent to give us some of the AA level games based on great properties. Right now, they are all collecting checks and letting the chips fall. Great point you brought up, though. I blame Bob. You're, of course, talking about, or you're either talking about Bob Iger, the now former CEO, or Bob Chapek, the current CEO. But either way, it seems like a lot of people just hate them both. Uh, I, I, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, but you say, I, I blame Bob, but I'm but I'm sure shareholders don't give a shit about those electronic games with bleeps and bloops and all their foolishness you spend money on outside the Disney attractions. Now, we'll stop there. Sam, thank you. Thank you for getting it. That's that's all I gotta say. It's just I don't know. I think it's really disappointing, and it's I guess it doesn't matter. Disney Disney is a smart enough company to know this doesn't matter because after last week's episode, I had a handful of people mention that to me that like, oh, that that was a good point. What you said about Disney, like, and not because I'm a, I'm a great thinker with great ideas, but just because it's like, oh, I guess I never thought of that because it's it's a thing you you really shouldn't have to think about. But I, I guess Disney is smart enough to know that it doesn't matter for them to be super involved in gaming at a, at a you know, like an all-hands-on-deck kind of involved way because it seems like this concept has gar- gone largely unnoticed and un- unrecognized for a long time. So maybe Disney's smart for being like, we don't have to put in all that, all those resources and all that legwork to do this. We can just license our shit out. But yeah, it's when you are a company that is solely based on your brand, you know, you think about... There are companies that are all about the brand and there are companies that are all about the product, right? You think about a company like Apple. Why are why do we pay two, three times what we should for all these Apple products? It's because Apple has built an incredibly valuable brand. They have built a brand that is worth three times the cost 
of the of the phone. You know, they the the reason why your eight hundred dollar iPhone is thirteen hundred dollars is because Apple's built a brand that warrants it. They've worked really really hard to build and preserve and maintain that brand. So you know, oftentimes I'll defend a company for doing that. Like I get it. It's not easy to build a brand like that. Nintendo's another one of those companies that's built a brand like that. You know, like, why is every fucking Nintendo game $60 forever and the price never, ever, ever drops or goes on sale? Because Nintendo's done an amazing job for a very long time of really building a valuable, high-quality brand and maintaining it. So, I get it, but Disney is also one of those companies and I feel like Disney sometimes gets this, you know, and they all have examples. Listen, I'll, I'll criticize Nintendo sometimes for doing something that's like low quality or cheap or shitty and still getting away with it. They all do it. Apple does it all the fucking time. They're trying to sell, right? Apple's whole business the past two years has been like aping old Windows phone features from like 10 years ago, selling to them, selling them to you like brand new and then people gobbling it up for twice the price anyway. So it's not that other companies don't do that, but it's like Disney, I feel like is extra guilty of this thing where it's like, they're a brand that's entirely built on a really, really high quality brand. And it's very, it's very, very important to them. It's the most important thing to them. It's why they try to distance themselves from Hulu because they don't want you to watch all that R rated content, all that dirty content on Hulu. And then for you to associate that with Mickey Mouse and princesses because that, that brand is so goddamn valuable to them. So, and I get that, but then Disney does all this kind of bullshit where they get so cheap with it. They just get so fucking cheap. They go, ah, you, you, highest bidder, you get this. Or when they were even making games, it's just like, oh, you you have seven months to make this really shitty cash grab Wreck-It Ralph game on Wii. They were doing shit like that all the time. And it's just like, you would think for a company that lives and dies by the strength of its brand that they would want to preserve that better, especially in an entertainment field as massively important and as massively lucrative and as massively just strong and recognizable as gaming. You would think they would also want to protect their brand in that realm, but clearly they did, they just don't. And I guess they're smarter than me because they found a way in which that brand is kind of protected and represented well by having other people do the heavy lifting. But yes, I, I appreciate you pointing that out. I guess I'm just salty about it. You know, you mentioned the good games being like Cars 2 and Toy Story 3. That's all Avalanche, man. Avalanche Software, the guys that made Disney Infinity, the guys that are making uh, Hogwarts Legacy or whatever right now. Those are the guys. They were, Disney owned them for a long, long time. They were a fantastic developer. They really understood that, like, really fun, really quirky, really good quality for the money and the, and the time, the, the time allotted to make the game. Like, the kings of that, like, double A movie tying stuff. They were really good at it. But even then, I think they, they could have and should have been able to do better with more money and more time to make higher quality games, but whatever. We, we won't dwell on this too long. I'm sure most people don't care. You also say, wrapping up, Sam, your final comment here, you say, gotta agree, Tron is a super fan, Tron is super fantastic. I would have rather the future grow dark from the sun imploding and that we wear skin-tight wetsuits and neon piping and that flying, than flying a car, grimy streets aesthetic from Blade Runner slash Cyberpunk. Both are cool. One just works more for me. Tron Light Cycle Ride at Magic Kingdom is a great analog for Xbox at E3. Why is the CGI promo solid? such a solid way to show us nothing is ready? Come back in six years. Whoever chooses what gets shown at the premiere event, like E-fucking-3, 
Or it needs to be treated like a sim trapped in the bathroom with no toilet. That's a that's a good one. E3 has not gotten any better for me. Yes, they have cool announcements, but none of the CGI trailers really give me a sense of what I'm going to be playing the next six months to three years. Even Far Cry 6 was shown as if I'm watching my character rather than a first person uh, playing. It looks like the world... It looked like a third world watchdogs. And a side note, Universal Studios' approach to building rides works. I never lost interest. I rode the fucking ride before it even opened on May 29th. Tron Light Cycle Ride Magic Kingdom is approaching six or seven years since the Shanghai one opened. As Sark, as Sark once said, finish the game. Great show. So entertaining. New name for the channel? Gaming, drive throughs and fries. Fuck ketchup. All right, Sam, I can't really dive into that because that's just like so... I, I don't know, Sam. Like, listen, the, there's there's you, there's me, and then I have one friend who listens to the show who I know will get that stuff. But other than that, us three, I don't think I, I don't know personally of anyone else listening to the show who will be like, yeah, I'm falling. I I'm I'm invested enough in the theme park bullshit and the video game bullshit to know exactly what you're talking about. So I don't really know what to do with that <laughs> with that information. It just seems maybe a little too niche. But nonetheless, it was my decision to read it, so I'm not blaming you at all. I, I thought that was a fun comment. But I, I do, I do want to say, mostly just to your last point there, new name for the channel, Gaming drive throughs and Fries. I fucking love that name. Maybe we can work, maybe we can shop that last part a little more, but, you know, the play on the... Uh, on the uh, uh, on the Guy Fieri diners, drive-ins, and, and, and dives. I love that. You know, gaming, drive-throughs, and fries. Now, they can't. We can't have two things related to to food, though. So it's got to be gaming, drive-throughs, and something. We'll, we'll get something. That's a, that's a good name, though. That that's actually a great name for a YouTube channel. I really I really like that, Sam. And I actually might continue to workshop it and ape it from you. So. Uh, just be prepared. If I ever get super rich and famous, you're still not getting any royalty money. Um, anyway, that's going to do for all of our comments this week. Remember, guys, if you want to write in next week, if you want to do a long, lengthy comment like Sam Torres that only three of us understand and the rest of us are just left out in the desk, either fast-forwarding through the podcast or just turning it off altogether, you can always go over to YouTube.com, leave a comment, and remember for next week, don't be shy. Reply. Now let's jump, jump into what I've been playing, but before I can tell you what I've been playing, i got to tell you about what I've been eating i've had a boring week i've been trying to be good trying to be healthy you know when i visited my family the other week i let i let it all go i ate like shit so now i'm trying to get back to being good boy so i don't really have anything exciting to be sharing on that front but i did want to say this so you guys know while i've been dieting my whole thing has been like the the zero sugar soda kind of coming in clutch as the kids might say Really saving the day for me. Now, my brother turned me on to this. He basically said, you know, if you're calorie counting, you're trying to stay under a certain calorie limit, obviously the big struggle there is that whole, like, you, you get to the point in the day where it's like, okay, I'm at my calorie limit, can't eat anymore till tomorrow. And the problem is it'll be like 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, and you're like, fuck, I really want to eat. I'm kind of hungry because I'm used to being a fat ass and eating a little more than I should. So this is kind of challenging. The key to it, and this is kind of cheat, but it's it's it helps, so fuck it, is to get into the zero sugar soda game. You know, you're a little hungry. It's like 7.30 at night. And you're like, ah, oh, man, I ate dinner a few hours ago, but I'm out of calories. I gotta be a good boy. No, no more. And you go, oh, if I just drink this Pepsi zero sugar, I'm gonna be good. You know, that's gonna kind of hold me over that I won't be hungry. And I'll, it'll kind of fill that, it kind of bloats you and takes away that feeling of hunger. So it, it works. It's not a great idea if you're trying to live a healthy life, but fuck, if you're just trying to count your calories and lose some weight, it works, okay? So fuck off, don't judge. 
but that's kind of been, you know, I'm not doing that religiously, but every now and then it's nice. So I, I normally, for as much as we talk about Mountain Dew and soda, I don't really keep soda around the house. Soda is something that like I only buy when there's a new Mountain Dew flavor. I'll buy a 12 pack of it just to, you know, get to try it while it's out and available. And then when it's gone, it's gone. I, and I stay away from soda until there's a new flavor. But ever since I've been doing this calorie counting thing, I pretty regularly kept Pepsi Zero Sugar around. You know, it's like, oh man, oh, you know, you have that with dinner. It helps make up for the fact that your dinner's kind of, you know, a little lighter because it's just like rice and chicken and vegetables instead of like my usual mashed potatoes and fried chicken and, and french fries or whatever. So that's kind of been my, 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 my crutch these past few months. But I've run into a problem recently where... I go down to my local store, I go to the soda aisle, plenty of regular Pepsi, plenty of Diet Pepsi, no Pepsi Zero Sugar. That's my local Publix. I go to my local Walmart, plenty of regular Pepsi, some Diet Pepsi, no Pepsi Zero Sugar. I go to my local Target, Pepsi Zero Sugar by the two liter, regular Pepsi by the six pack of personal bottles, and, uh, and no cans whatsoever. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? I even went to my local 7-Eleven, and like they didn't even have personal bottles. They just had regular Pepsi. That was it. And so I'm like, you know, Florida's weird where I live. I live around where a lot of tourists visit. So sometimes, you know, you go to the store and it's just like out of particular items completely for no explainable reason other than maybe it's like, you know, people came down to visit. They're staying at the resort down the road or the or the whatever down the road. And they stopped by the grocery store and stocked up on this. That, that's that's always my guess. You know, you go there and you're like, I'm here to pick up this one item. You go and you see that one item is all missing. And you're like, oh, probably some tourists came by and they're stocking up in their in their hotel or their little vacation home for the week. And they bought a bunch of this shit. And that's why it's gone. That's always been my excuse for why this happens. But increasingly lately, I've been finding that. The Pepsi Zero Sugar is sold out everywhere. I can be in my neck of the woods. I can be far away from the tourists in a different town. And it's still the same problem. So the Pepsi Zero Sugar is simply Thanos snapping away. So I do what any good guy would do. I get on Bing and I start investigating. I don't know how much truth there is to this because there's not a lot of people talking about this. But there are some. And it seems like the general consensus is Pepsi Company and a lot of a lot of companies in general are just having an issue with getting aluminum. There's apparently an aluminum shortage, you know, with COVID, everyone knows of a product here or there. That's, you know, the chip shortage with the auto manufacturers and the electronics and, uh, the, the, the fuel shortage with this and the, what's the other one we were running into at work? I don't know. There's, there's like a shortage of everything, right? You, you go anywhere. It's like, Oh, why can't I buy my favorite fucking brand of tampons? It's like, Oh, because there's a tampon shortage because of COVID. So whatever, you know, there's a shortage of everything all of a sudden, but apparently one of the shortages is aluminum. So what's happening is Pepsi doesn't have enough aluminum to make all the 12 pack cans that they normally make. So they have to emphasize certain product lines and so, you know, they put out their Pepsi Zero Sugar and then all the Pepsi Zero Sugar sells out in a can. Then they don't have more to ship out because there's a can shortage. So then people start buying all the bottles and then there's no bottles left. And that's kind of like the trickle down effect we're seeing here. So I'm going to go with that because this is only a recent development I've been noticing the past few months and it's getting worse and worse. So I assume this is a COVID related thing. But guys, it's frustrating as hell because... I'm I'm just trying to get my zero sugar soda. So I'm having to resort to like whatever I can get. I was lucky enough to find a 12 pack of Dr. Pepper cream soda, zero sugar the other day. So that's what I have right now. But listen, when it comes to zero sugar sodas, you guys know me, you know, I've always been a staunch, like 
drink the regular sh- soda or fuck yourself kind of guy. But I, I got to reel it back in a little bit. You know, this dieting has made me a believer of the zero sugar brand. I, I still stand by it. This isn't just because I have a Pepsi preference. Coke Zero is significantly shittier than Pepsi Zero Sugar. Like, Coke Zero tastes a lot more like a diet soda than Pepsi Zero Sugar tastes like a diet soda. Pepsi Zero Sugar mostly tastes like Pepsi. It's very, very good for what it is. Is it as good as regular Pepsi? No. But is it very, very good and significantly better than Diet Pepsi? Yes. And so, Pepsi Zero Sugar has kind of become my thing. It's my crutch. I rely on it. I wake up in the morning. I expect it to be there. I open my fridge. I hope that it's there. I, I go into my... Ghostbusters lunchbox or whatever the fuck I use at work and I expect to see it there but it's not there and it's scaring me I'm going to my stores I don't find it there I'm going to my gas stations I don't see it there and it's starting to haunt me I don't know what to say like you guys if you're big soda drinkers if you're if you find yourself in the soda aisle at least once a week let me know are you guys experiencing anything like this am I going crazy but so not a very conventional what I've been eating, but guys, we had to talk about that because it, it's scary. And these are this is the reality of what's happening in the world, and we can't shy away from it, uh, whether it's an uncomfortable situation or not. It, it's reality, and it has to be discussed. So now that's what I've been eating, or what I wish I were eating or drinking rather. But here we go with the what I've been playing. So guys, I, I now I, last week obviously we talked all about a pirate's life, Sea of Thieves. I was playing through that, having a good time, and then I got to episode two. Got halfway through it and got super stuck. And so after like 30 minutes of trying to figure out what the fuck to do, I was like, screw it, I'm going to look it up. I go on YouTube and I look up the mission and I find out, I can't, I'm, it's not that I'm doing something wrong, it's that I'm, I'm experiencing a bug where the certain events aren't triggering and the things aren't happening, so I can't complete the puzzles correctly. And so I start doing some research here, you know, Bing, because I'm a Bing guy, and Turns out there's a bunch of fucking bugs and the Pirate's Life content is really, really messed up right now. So a lot of people are experiencing some mission breaking bugs. So I was like, I don't have time for this shit. So I just turned it off. I was like, you know what? I'll come back soon. I'm sure they'll do plenty of hot hot fixes and things like that. Sure enough, the next day they had a hot patch. So I was like, cool, I'll come back to it. But I have something else coming up that it's going to distract me from Sea of Thieves. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this new game. And then in a week or two, I'll come back to Sea of Thieves. So that's on the back burner for now. I'm excited to get back to it, but got to talk about the big thing I've been playing this week. So last Friday, Scarlet Nexus came out. You may recall this is the game I was I was touting as one of my top five most anticipated games of 2021. And I played the demo a couple weeks ago and then immediately deleted it and said, no, I want to save it. I know I want to buy this game. I want to save the demo. And then last week I was talking about how I'm kind of busy with some things. I think the smart thing to do might be to just hold off and try to be disciplined and not play this game right at launch. Well, guess what? I didn't do the smart thing and I bought it right at launch. So guys, Scarlet Nexus is so fucking good. But also I got to give you the caveat of This is not me saying I highly recommend you go out and buy Scarlet Nexus because this is not a traditional Xbox game. This is not a typical Jesse game by any stretch of the imagination. This is very much a Japanese action RPG game. It is very unconventional for like Xbox fare. And that's all a great thing. So the the thing is, I don't want to go around and be like, you know, a new Halo game comes out. I'm like, yeah, the new Halo game. Awesome. Xbox people are going to like the new Halo game. Xbox people, I, I don't know. Did you like Yakuza? Cool. That you know, like that was a really weird game to get on Xbox, and that's kind of how I feel about Scarlet Nexus. Like this is different. This is the kind of content we're used to only getting on Nintendo platforms or PlayStation platforms. So the fact that I mean, it's a multi-platform game. You can get it on PlayStation, but the fact that this game was announced for Xbox Series X and marketed with Series X 
it's it's kind of had its alignment with Xbox all along. And that's really cool because a lot of Xbox fans for a long time have argued Xbox doesn't have sufficient Japanese game support, which I agree with. And we need to see Xbox do more to try and fix that. And we've seen Phil Spencer address this and talk about wanting to fix as well. And Scarlet Nexus is one of these examples of putting your money where your mouth is. And so from the moment it was announced, not just because I'm like, oh, a new Japanese game that's coming out day and date with Xbox and being marketed with Xbox. I want to support this because I want to see more of this stuff happen. Not only because of that, but just for the simple fact that when the game was revealed, I was smitten by the art style, by the art direction, the aesthetic, the graphics. It just it's such a visually appealing game to me. And and I just knew I had to play it. And I got I gotta say, I'm about 11, 12 hours into it so far. Like I played a lot of it this past week. And I'm very happy to report it is very much up my alley. This game is fantastic. And it addresses so many problems I normally have with these kinds of games which makes it feel all the more like not only a cool action Japanese role-playing game, but like the action role-playing game that was designed with Jesse in mind. Because normally my hang-up with these, with these role-playing games, with these Japanese role-playing games, it's like they're 40 to 50 hours long. They're just full and full of exploration and random enemy encounters and turn-based combat and really slow gameplay and spending hours in menus trying to figure shit out. None of that exists in Scarlet Nexus, yet it's still a Japanese role-playing game. It's so cool. The world and the art design is so fucking cool. It's like this cyberpunk Japanese Tokyo fucking thing. They call it brain punk. Or, or yeah, they call it brain punk. Weirdly enough, I, I, I won't get into too much about like the enemy art design and, and what all that means because it's a different conversation for a different day and I could spend a long time talking about that. But the, the game's whole thing is like the enemies have really crazy out there kind of art design and the world is full of like this like kind of futuristic cyborgy cyberpunk like Tokyo setting. And it's really fucking cool. It looks literally straight up like an anime. The graphics are so good. The the, the lighting is so good. The character animations and the character uh, modeling is so, so impressive looking. And I love it. It's not like that. It, it doesn't fall into that trope I have with a lot of Japanese role-playing games where I'm like, ah, it tries to be all like knights and elves and orcs and high fantasy bullshit. Like, I can't get into that. Instead, it does like the, the city cyberpunk thing, which I'm much more interested in. The, the combat is ex, is absurdly action-based, super frenetic, and stylish. It's just so, so fun. So for those who don't know, the, the combat is basically like Japanese role-playing control, like Remedies Control. You're able to use psychokinesis abilities to pick up objects and throw them, and you slash with your sword, and you beat the shit out of guys, and you chain together combos, but you also, like, pick up fucking train cars and massive boxes and, and like, and like road barricades and just smash them into fucking enemies, and you chain it all together and make really stylish and fast and crazy uh, um, uh, combat. It's just so cool. And then the other thing is your party members have different abilities, like a fire ability or a teleportation ability or an invisibility, uh, and you can, like, borrow those abilities from your teammates. So you like use psychokinesis, you throw an object at an enemy, then you borrow this teammate's fire ability. So now your sword's flaming. You can like beat the fuck out of this, uh, this one enemy and just like, you know, like light them the fuck up. And then this guy's got like a big shield. So what he does is you take your, your teammates teleportation ability and you like teleport around to his weak spot where he's exposed and you slash the enemy. So you take down his shield and then you can whack the fuck out of him the regular way. But the way the game does it, the way it slowly rolls out like all the combat styles, all the abilities, all the ways you interact with the enemy types and the 
class types and your and your party members and your skill set, the way it slowly rolls out all that information is so bite-sized and manageable that even though it sounds like a daunting combat system, you master it incredibly easy. It's so, so intuitive. So by the, you know, you go, you start on the game and it's mostly just like regular basic sword attacks and some slight kinetic abilities, uh, like, uh, or, uh, whatever psychokinesis abilities. And then by the time you're in like hour two or three of the game, before you even know it, you're chaining like five times the amount of like attack abilities all together. And if someone walked into the room, and just saw you playing, they'd be like, this looks so incredibly complicated and like convoluted the way you're able to fight with these enemies, but it feels so natural. It's so easy to pick up and play. It's not complex. It's not a lot of like wrapping your brain around like, how can I approach this enemy differently? It's very intuitive. It's very, very fun. The combat, super fun. It's very action oriented. Um, and, and it's not like that regular Japanese role playing game shit where it's like, I gotta have all these items and inventory management. It's very simple. It's like, you gotta buy like status effects and health and super easy, very kingdom hearts like where it's just like you run around, you press down the D-pad, you use your potion, you're healed. You know, it's not like a lot of like, oh, let me go in the menu and select this and do that special thing. So very easy, very instant gameplay. And the other thing I love about it is there's no opportunity in the game for it to like, for you to get lost. It's not like a big open world where you explore, you talk to townsfolks to figure out where this person's hiding so you can get your next mission from them, but they need this object and you gotta use the special flute to move the Snorlax. None of that bullshit it's just very straightforward, almost level-based, where it's just like, oh, let's go to this area for this and speak with so-and-so. Like, the game tells you where to go, very linear. So you go to your map, and you can either run to the place or you can just fast travel to the place. Cutscene funnels you through this mission. Very, very straightforward gameplay, very linear-based. So I love that the game respects your time by cutting down all the bullshit long-winded shit that these games usually have and just by being a very direct action-packed very heavy story oriented game now there's tons and tons of dialogue tons of cutscene tons of character interaction tons of story and exposition which is to be expected with these kinds of games but again it's like it feels so balanced very much like yakuza because it's the game is so like now you're fighting a bunch of enemies you're fighting you're fighting you're fighting here's a long break with tons of dialogue and cutscene. All right, now we had a lot of cutscene. You're probably really tired of story and exposition. Let's go back to tons of gameplay and combat. And so it feels like it's always refreshing. Just when one thing gets old, the game switches you to the other and gets very refreshing. The story is really cool. It's very wacky. It's very, very Japanese. It's very like, okay, that that's kind of cringe. Okay, that's kind of cool. Okay, this character is awesome. Okay, that guy's kind of weird. Very much in the vein of like any anime or Japanese game you've probably ever played, but I fucking love it. I love the cast. I'm really obsessed with a handful of, of the characters, and I, I'm loving the hell out of this game. And the the thing is, the runtime of the game is about 20 hours. You know, perfect. A Japanese role-playing game you can beat in 20 fucking hours. Now, it can be much longer if you want. There's a, there's a, a male character and a female character. They both have different stories. So if you play one and you want to get the full effect, you play the other one's story next. And there are some things that kind of overlap, but it's kind of like a new game plus mode with a ton of additional content. So if you play both sides, there is some overlapping content, but it's mostly two separate games. Um, so you have the option of doing both or just doing one. I haven't really decided if I'm going to see both stories through the end, but I do know that I'm very, very satisfied with this game so far. I highly, highly recommend that if you are a person who likes Japanese role-playing games or if you're someone who's been 
very vocal about needing more Japanese content on Xbox. I think this is a game absolutely worth putting your support out there, buying, showing your showing your support and your desire to have more of this stuff on Xbox. But I wouldn't go around saying, oh man, you like Gears of War and Forza and Halo and Game Pass, you'll love Scarlet Nexus. It's it's different. For a lot of for a lot of Xbox gamers, it's different. And we don't see enough of this. This this game is Bandai Namco. Um game actually made by a lot of old tales of or tales of franchise developers um bandai namco's popular rpg series and they they kind of have a history with xbox right because tales of vesperia on xbox 360 was actually an xbox 360 exclusive for a couple of years before it ever came to playstation and other consoles so it's cool to see bandai namco working with xbox and showing some support i, I love this game i'm really really excited to get back to more of it and i highly encourage you know if you're into japanese role-playing games or if you're curious about this game or if you just want to show your support for more japanese content on xbox i think this is definitely a game worth checking out but that being said you know if you're if you're not sure if this is the game for you there is a demo available maybe wait for a sale I'm sure this game will be in Game Pass within the next six to eight months. I don't know. But I, I am very happy to have spent $60 on it and to show my support. I love this game. And uh, honestly, so far, you know, I said Outriders was my game of the year so far. I think this might be my game of the year so far. Probably is. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, when Halo comes out, it's a different story. But for now, this is probably my game of the year. It's very, very good stuff. So that's what I've been playing. And uh, with that out of the way, guys, let's let's finally jump into the news. All right, so we had another overindulgent comment section this week because we have another post E3 kind of slower news week, but yeah, we have a, a decent amount of stories, just nothing too mind blowing to get through. But uh, our first one comes from Windows Central, as always, uh, which reports that Remedy today or this week announced its partnership with 505 Games to make multi to make a multiplayer spin-off game of its popular 2019 titled Control. It's in development for PC, PS5, and Xbox Series X and S, codenamed Condor. It'll be a four-player PVE co-op title. So this is uh, instantly weird just because Remedy is not a huge multiplayer team and they're making a PVE game. So uh, this just screams, uh, we need a game that makes money past the initial sale. Uh, and the article says, according to Remedy's announcement, the two developers are working together to co-publish Condor, Remy and Gaffey Galante, co-CEOs of uh, 505 parent company Digital Bros., said that the intention of the title is to keep the game playing, keep players gaming, keep gamers playing, keep laymen gamers for years to come. Saying, quote, as a multiplayer game, Condor has the potential to engage a gaming community in the long run, contributing to 505 Games' product revenue stream longer than traditional games. The two studios working together. Uh, the two studios are working together on another title in the con Control series, a high-level collaboration, a bigger-budget control game to be to be agreed in more detail in the future so isn't it funny how i said that even before we read it promise i didn't pre-read that part and then the article wraps up by saying that control is also connected of course to the alan wake universe and the rumor already has it that there's a alan wake remaster coming to the epic game store previously remedy announced that it's a, had a partnership with epic games to publish two games so they have a lot of irons in the fire a lot of coals in the fire various other publishers so lots coming from remedy but now we know even though Control's already continuing and they got some other games with Epic and they're apparently making a campaign for um, Crossfire X, yet another game that was announced for Xbox and then just never came out. Holding you accountable, Microsoft. But yeah, another another one of those uh, games. So my, my big thing here is Remedy's spread themselves pretty thin. I'm, I'm sure they're growing and splitting into new teams, but they've got a PvE 
control multiplayer game coming out. They got a new control game that's going to be bigger, higher budget, more fidelity, whatever. And then they've got two games they're working on that are going to be published by Epic uh, for the Epic Game Store. And then they've got a rumored Alan Wake remaster coming. And then they've got Crossfire X's campaign, which is coming to Xbox Series X in 2000 never. So the fact that Remedy is spread, I mean, that, and think about that. Remedy's not a massive team at all. They're independent. They they work with various publishers. They're still an independent studio. There's they they had to have sized up quite a bit to accomplish all these products, all these projects, because that is for any studio spreading yourself way too thin. So I don't know what the plan is here. I, I at this point, I think the Crossfire X campaign. Remember that was originally supposed to be a launch title for the Series X. Ha. Huh. We, we haven't even heard of it. Um, that's basically vaporware at this point. So, you know, the Alan Wake remaster, you can source that out to someone else. So it's like, okay, well, there's two things you can knock off the list right there, I guess. But Re- Remedy seems to be spreading themselves pretty thin. And I don't know that a player a PvE game is really the route to be taking um, when you are a team that is so well regarded for your narrative-driven single-player content. And now, granted... I, I doubt anything Remedy makes is really that hot of a seller. So this is the publisher saying, listen, we we make some money, okay? And this is Remedy also saying, we need to make some money. We need a game that people will do the microtransaction dance inside of. So that's what this is about. This is fishing for their, like, everyone wants their white whale multiplayer game. I can't imagine this works out in any capacity, but we will have to wait and see. I think the big story here just being that Remedy is really pushing themselves way too far. They are some of the best talent in the industry, and I think we're about to watch them make some really catastrophic mistakes. Remedy was a team I really wanted to see Microsoft acquire when they were going on their acquiring rampage. You know, for the most part, I'm not pro these big companies buying up all the talent in the in the industry, but if if there were a few companies here and there that I could hope that xbox might bring into the xbox family remedy was one of them so it's funny to see them doing all of this instead of coming home to xbox where let's be honest that's where they really belong next up windows central reports that back in december of 2020 bioware veteran casey hudson departed the company without mentioning that he'd be what he'd be working on next that was the second time he left bioware by the way hudson announced this past week on twitter uh, that he has founded a new studio humanoid studios a Canadian-owned team of talented developers from around the world. Humanoid Studios is aiming to bring innovative and art, innovation artistry as the team will be working on new IP, although no further details have been given other than that the game will run in the Unreal Engine 5. In Unreal Engine 5, no matter how the game shakes out, it's early days for the team, so we wouldn't expect to hear anything for a long while. Throughout his tenure at Bioware, of course, Hudson worked on games like Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, Jet Empire, the first couple of Mass Effect games, and Anthem. It'll be interesting to see if the what genre Humanoid Studios is targeting and whether or not it draws on Hudson's long familiarity with science fiction and uh, worlds and ideas. So, I mean, I, I guess this was just a matter of time before we learned what Casey Hudson was doing, right? He's come and gone at Bioware a lot. Bioware is a studio that's more or less completely shaken up and fucked at this point. Fucked in the sense, not in the sense of their next game is going to be a disaster guaranteed, but fucked in the sense that it's this company that rides on the success of its name from back in the day, but it is comprised of almost no one who initially made that studio great with the likes of KOTOR or Mass Effect or any of these games. And now it's just basically a name attached to all these franchises that are struggling to 
to satiate their fans, whether it be Mass Effect or, or Dragon Age. Remember, Dragon Age 4 has been announced and reannounced and teased endlessly for about a billion years now. So if we don't see it in action in a few weeks at EA's play event on, I think, July 22nd, then that game's basically vaporware at this point as well. I'm just going to call everything vaporware that gets announced and we don't see it for a while. So get used to it. Okay, Lethal Migraine, I can already feel you bitching. I can feel you fuming with your fucking raisin canes. And your goddamn uh, whatever soda you find acceptable, shut up. It's vaporware. <laughs> but no, all, all joking aside. Yeah, I mean, it, th- what, what is there to say? I, I feel like we've been getting a lot of this these past few months. Uh, PlayStation's been doing it a lot. Uh, Xbox has done it a few times in the past few years. We see lots of smaller studios doing this. This talent has teamed up with other people in this country to form a new studio. The studio's name is Blank. That's great. We've been telling this story so many times. Like, what am I supposed to take from this, huh? Listen, Casey Hudson's a very, very big uh, piece of talent. That's a, is a very talented man. It's a very uh, storied person in the industry. A-, a lot of people would be curious to know what the fuck is Casey Hudson working on next, right? Well, the thing is, at this point, Casey Hudson hasn't, like, yes, worked on Anthem. His real last big project was probably Dragon Age. Or no, he didn't work on Dragon Age. He worked on Mass Effect, really. Like, his last massive project, his last, like, real, like, slap-your-name-on-the-box kind of project was, like, 2011's Mass Effect 3. So it's like, I what does Casey Hudson have cooking right now? Who fucking knows at this point? Uh, I assume it's probably going to be something in the vein of what he's done in the past, which are these Western RPG-style games. But, again, it's like, we know this man's name. We know his legacy. Hasn't really put out a product in a pretty long while. New studio... If you got nothing else to say, then, I mean, the the news really stops there, doesn't it? It's like, okay, Casey Hudson has announced the name of his new studio, and they're working on a video game. Uh, What what else is there to say? All the IP he worked on are back with EA, so it's something new. He's worked almost predominantly on these Western open RPG games, so they're probably making one of those. And does a lot of sci-fi stuff, so it could be sci-fi. I don't know. What what do you want to see from Casey Hudson at this point? At this point, that core talent at Bioware that's responsible for all these games people are so nostalgic for, they're so spread out that just because Casey Hudson has a new team doesn't guarantee that this next thing is going to be something you'll love the way you loved Bio, uh, Bioware's Mass Effect or Knights of the Old Republic. So I, I don't know. Casey Hudson, new studio. It's a big story, but there's not much to dissect. I guess that's all there is to it, right? Next up, Windows Central also reports. We're pulling from our guys at Windows Central. We love them. That's Silent Hill fans. Now, this is kind of an interesting, a more interesting story. Silent Hill fans once again awoke from a long hibernation this past week to discuss the future of the franchise after Konami once again teased the fans only to announce a limited edition skateboard. Fandom was understandably in a frenzy. Ramped up on discussion about Silent Hill stems from a new uh, news that Bloober team has entered into a partnership with Konami, reported with the or no sorry that that is the the factual news now the goal is to share information about technology but more importantly uh, they'll be developing a joint projects considering bluebird team's outward love for silent hill which they've been outspoken about and the fact that the franchise has been absent especially since 2014's now canceled pt game many people have jumped immediately to the idea that Bluebird team could be working on the next Silent Hill project as they are a horror game developer. So the news came to discussion whether Bluebird team was right for the job after this kind of news was announced with their most recent project, uh, the temp- the limited time exclusive 
on Xbox Series X, the medium, you know, which recently came out, kind of failing to exceed expectations for many people, kind of falling into that middling territory in terms of recession, uh, reception. Uh, game took a lot of inspiration, of course, from games like Silent Hill, but received mixed reviews due to its um, just kind of polarized, due to its just kind of general, uninspired, kind of middle of the road, whatever. I, that's not really my take. That's kind of just the general take. Um, I never finished the medium. I just it, it it was cool. It was fun, but it never like blew me away. Um, however, the idea that Bluebird team is possibly working on a new Silent Hill is one uh, that a lot of people have been rumoring about for a while. So you know it is possible, especially considering that Konami has been developing two Silent Hill projects: a soft reboot and an episodic adventure. Uh, the, the, which, or sorry, those are the rumors. Rather, is that there's a episodic adventure and a uh, a reboot. So anyway, we'll, we'll we'll just leave it at that. Actually, GamesIndustry.biz was you know kind of talking about this as well, talking about uh, Bloober Team CEO talking with Konami about working on a new horror franchise. the 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 story here, the real story here, is that and this kind of extends out into PlayStation news. If you really want to take it to the nth degree, which is that yes, Bloober Team is this kind of like middle of the road, almost double A tier, if you really want to think about it that way, kind of horror developer that makes these horror games. It's like some people like the world doesn't get lit on fire over them. They're just, they're fine. They're fun. Uh, but you know, they, they don't, they're not like revolutionary. They're not like resident evil or silent hill caliber. They're just, you know, a fun little romps. And so silent hill has been absent forever. People have been begging for silent hill for a while there. We knew that Kojima and what's his face, uh, Gilmore del Toro were supposed to be working on a Silent Hill reboot. They made that playable trailer that people really loved and were hyped about. And then the game got canceled and the relationship between Konami and Kojima went south. And so for a long time now, basically the whole past generation of consoles, the conversation about Silent Hill is like, where is this franchise? Bring it back. We want this shit. You hype this up with this Kojima game. And then it never came to fruition. And so there's been a lot of animosity towards Konami for a lot of reasons, including Metal Gear Solid, but also especially because of Silent Hill. And so this fact that now Konami, who's been really uninvolved in video games in recent years, is like, yeah, we're going to work with Bluebird Team. We're going to share information, technology, and assets and things like that. And they're they're working together at some capacity. And the rumor is they're making a game together. All of a sudden it becomes, well, Bluebird Team just makes these middle-of-the-road horror games. Konami hasn't really been involved with video games lately. Does this mean Konami wants to make a new Silent Hill game or a new horror game, but kind of put a middle-of-the-road budget into it and get like a middle-of-the-road developer and kind of do it on a budget? And that's kind of like what comes up to my mind first is they they don't want to go back and do PT. They don't want to invest that kind of money on that kind of project. They want to go half-assed. But that doesn't really make sense to me because if you're Konami and you own the Silent Hill franchise, you say, what does our competition look like? And if you're Silent Hill, your competition's Resident Evil. Well, over at Capcom, Resident Evil is doing really, really, really well. It's come back with quite a surge of popularity, quite a vengeance. The newer Resident Evil remakes and original games like Resident Evil 2, 3, 7, and 8 have all done very, very well uh, commercially. Reception-wise, they've done very, very well. People are really digging these games. There's been a big resurgence of this kind of uh, modern take on classic horror video games. And so if, if you're Konami, there's, the pressure's on, right? You can't, you can't afford to just ignore Silent Hill. You can't sit on that property when Silent Hill's biggest competitor is back and bigger than ever before. Well, not bigger than ever before, because technically Resident Evil 4 and 5 were the biggest sales-wise in those franchises. But anyway, 4, 5, and 6. But but the fact that Resident Evil is back and doing so incredibly well, both uh, commercially and critically, and Silent Hill is just completely MIA, means that 
you'd be stupid to not use the franchise. You either need to license that shit out and let someone make something, or you need to get something in-house and do something about it. And so getting Bloober Team, no offense, to me just says they want to do it kind of on on the budget, you know? Because think about like making a horror game today, and you're like, okay, Capcom the Kings, Kojima seemed to be a great candidate, you know, his team with, with PT and everything. And then, you know, you got like Outlast developer Red Barrels. They're, they're pretty damn great. Um, they're an indie dev that's grown and risen a lot in popularity thanks to the Outlast series. And it's like, well, there's a lot of options out there, but Bloober Team isn't at the top of the, of the of that list. They're somewhere in the middle. So the fact that they're working with them, you know, it's like at this point, it's like you're either working with Bloober Team on Silent Hill or you're pissing everyone off. Either way, Konami can't win here because everyone's going to be fucking mad because everyone wants Silent Hill. And if you're working with a horror developer on something that's not Silent Hill, you're you're begging for it. So whatever that game is that isn't Silent Hill, that game's fucked just because people are now mad at you that it's not Silent Hill. But if it is Silent Hill, people are mad at you because why Bloober Team? You know, how are they going to be the ones to pull it off when there's so many other teams that are more equipped to do it? So many other teams that people wanted to have do it instead. So lots going on there. And then also in the world of PlayStation news, there's been all this bullshit going on with this apparently like Silent Hill Sony game that's coming out with this no-name developer and all these all this teasing that's going around suggesting that possibly uh, Hideo Kojima is working on a Silent Hill game and that the relationship between him and Konami has been patched up to some extent and that Sony will be publishing it but licensing the IP from Konami and having Kojima Productions work on the game. So there's all those rumors too that kind of conflict with this. So now it's just this hodgepodge of like, what is actually going on? Is Konami just licensing out the IP and saying Bloober Team can work on a Silent Hill game and Sony can work on a Silent Hill game? And maybe they're taking a Disney approach and they're just sharing the wealth with all their friends. Whoever gives us the licensing fee can make a game in this franchise. We don't give a shit. Maybe that's what's happening. But either way, on all sides, unless at the end of the day what we get is a Hideo Kojima-made Silent Hill game, I think everyone's going to be pissed off. So... Konami's really backed into a corner here, and poor Bloober team, they're kind of in over their heads with this one, but I, I listen, I would love to see them be the underdogs here, come out ahead, and, and make a Silent Hill game that shuts everyone up and makes them think totally differently of Bloober team going forward, but I just don't see that being the case, and this is a, a pretty big property to entrust with such an otherwise um, uh, unproven developer, and so... That's that's the big gist with that one. And then our last story, like I said, slow news week. Still, still coming off that E3 lull. So our last news story of the week, coming again from Windows Central. One of Xbox One's standout launch titles, of course, was Killer Instinct, the free-to-play fighting game based on classic on the classic Rare franchise of the 90s. Killer Instinct, the classic combo-heavy fighter, ran for three seasons during the Xbox One generation, including characters from other Xbox franchises like Arbiter from Halo and Ram from Gears of War. Killer Instinct didn't enjoy the same traction as some of its contemporaries, but it had a passionate community stewarded by popular streamers and fighters. According to Xbox lead Phil Spencer, however, the game has not been laying fallow due to a lack of desire for the franchise, saying, quote, There are so many good games in our catalog that we'd love to visit. No response. The response when we did Killer Instinct at launch of Xbox One was fantastic. Not everybody inside the organization saw what the game could become, I will just say Matt Booty and I have discussed many times Killer Instinct and where we would like to see that go. And it's not out of our minds. It might be out of, well, it might be out of our minds, but it's not out of our hearts. And in our minds that we want to continue to do something with the, with the franchise. It's about finding the right team and the right opportunity it is not due to any kind of lack of desire or love 
uh, because we love the franchise and the community response. In a previous comment, Spencer jokes about Mortal Kombat lead Ed Boon and about his possible insertion of the Killer Instinct franchise or Mortal Kombat crossover with it. Of course, a lot of people are rumoring with WB Games looking to get out of gaming for Microsoft to come in and in grab, grab Ed Boon and to do a Mortal Kombat Killer Instinct type game. Although, you know, that's all just speculation. Now, this one, again, not much to say. This is basically Phil Spencer's way of just saying, yeah, we're not actively working on Killer Instinct, but we also want to see it come back in some way. The thing is, Killer Instinct, while it was free to play on Xbox, so obviously it was accessible. The thing is, it was stranded on Xbox One at a time where Xbox One wasn't selling hot and when it wasn't a cool console to have. You put a new Killer Instinct on Xbox Series X through Game Pass in a time where Game Pass is really popular and Xbox is a lot more respected, I think it has a much better chance of surviving and, and thriving, really. It's all about just getting the right develop developer for the project i i believe and yeah if they could get if they could get nether realms to agree to do uh or, or somehow get them to do a killer instinct game yeah of course that'd be a huge win um but at the same time i feel like that also just kind of neglects what makes what makes uh killer instinct unique by just trying to make it into its competitor so i i don't know i I, I'm always of the mind that I like to see Microsoft try to build internal new teams. It'd be cool to see them try to build some small-scale in-house just fighting team kind of akin to like what World's End or World's Edge or whatever does um, with the Age of Empires franchise. Just find some like kind of like build some in-house team that's not necessarily like a big game studio, but just a team dedicated to building and supporting a fighting game as a service kind of deal. I think that'd be cool. But yeah, the, I... Again, this isn't this isn't like a oh man, new Killer Instinct announced or like oh it's just a matter of time before this happens. This is really more of just another one of those stories where it's like Phil Spencer said something in passing. It was a little nugget of information. Everyone was like oh cool, cool, cool. So do I think Killer Instinct will come back in the future? Y yes. Do I think it's anything imminent? No. Do I think it's anything that we should get our hopes up about today? No. Do I think the whole getting Netherrealm and Ed Boon to do? you know, a Killer Instinct game is, is imminent or is, is highly plausible? No, I, I really don't. I think I think Ed Boon and NetherRealm are pretty focused on injustice and moral combat, and that's going to continue to be their beat, whether it's WB Games or someone else uh, publishing those titles, but I think that's going to continue to be their beat. So I, I don't know. I, th I think finding someone to compete with the likes of Mortal Kombat rather than getting Mortal Kombat to do it is more plausible, but who knows? I'm wrong about shit literally all the time, so... We'll have to wait and see. Again, this is a, a week of news stories that are short, sweet, not much to divulge, and we'll have to wait and see. But that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Now let's jump into our important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant our own discussions, of which we have a small handful. GamesIndustry.biz reports that Microsoft has bought its has brought its cloud service ga uh, gaming to PC, Apple platforms, and the company today announced that Xbox Cloud Gaming Beta is now available on Windows 10 PCs and iOS phones and tablets. Of course, through uh, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. In each case, users can access the service by going to xbox.com slash play on a Chrome Edge or Safari web browser. The company also says that it's upgraded its uh, data centers so that its cloud gaming services are able to run on custom Xbox Series X hardware for faster load times and improved frame rates. Streams can now be or lim now limited to 60 FPS at 1080p to ensure lowest latency possible. Next, Nintendo Central reports that 343 Industries have announced in their new Inside Infinite blog post that Halo Infinite's first multiplayer season will be called he Heroes of Reach. It's not clear what the 
content will be included in the season, but we're expecting lots of Halo Reach themed content, such as armor sets worn by Noble Team in, in Halo Reach's campaign. Heroes of Reach will go live when the game launches later in holiday 2021. Next, Windows Central also reports that after being tested in Grounded's public test ring, the Shroom and Doom update is now available. The update is the largest update the game has received and brings a bunch of new content for players to explore. IGN also reports that after years of post-launch DLC support, Forza Horizon 4 is getting its final batch of new content in its next update for a while. This is pretty normal as they gear up for Forza Horizon 5. They leave the previous Horizon title to lay fallow while they focus on the new one. Um... Senior producer Tom Butcher discussed this on a Forza Monthly post, detailing that they're shifting to Horizon 5, as I said, so that is not surprising. Windows Central Next reports that Mojang Studios have announced earlier in the year that Minecraft Earth would officially reach its end of life, and this week it has done so, meaning that the game is now gone for good. Minecraft Earth has been removed from app stores and will cease to be functional for the remaining players that were taking advantage of Minecraft Earth's parting gifts the last few months it was around. And then our penultimate story says IGN reports yet another group of Blizzard veterans are forming their own studio. This comes with the support of Tencent Gross. The new group is called Uncapped Game Studios. It's being led by David Kim and Jason Hughes. Uncapped will be working on a new RTS for PC. These guys worked on a lot of StarCraft 2 content. And the game will be revealed at a later date. Shocker. Does that story sound familiar? Yep, it's all we ever hear these days. And finally, GamesIndustry.biz reports that Electronic Arts has agreed to purchase Playdemic for, from Warner Media for $1.4 billion in an all-cash deal. Uh, founded in 2010, the Manchester, UK-based Playdemic is best known for the development of mobile and Facebook game Golf Clash. So, uh fucking who cares that's gonna do it for all of our news stories and whatnot of the week you guys let's wrap up with the new game releases of the week of which there are 15 new titles coming to xbox we'll blast them real fast there are spirits of the north enhanced edition comes out june 28th so it's out now series x enhanced and you play as a wolf that shines light probably has some form of wolf or fox cancer arkin the dog adventurer looks like doge fox thing in 2d animation so lots of furry dog games this, this week flatland volume 2 literally looks like some knockoff of celeste but celeste is a good game oni reich comes out on june 29th and it looks like some tim schaefer looking carnival misfits kind of game and then uh, synchro hedgehogs comes out june 29th little hedgehogs running around a little 2d sprite hedgehog game I can't go wrong with that uh, Zombie Ate My Neighbors and Gold Patrol. Weird to see Disney re-release these two classics, but here we are, June 29th, they're now out. Warhammer 40k Space Wolf. This game is $17. My brother tried to ask me for this for his birthday, and I didn't buy it because I said Warhammer was too nerdy, so there's an anecdote for you. Doki Doki Literature Club Plus comes out June 30, Xbox One X Enhanced. People keep telling me to play this game, but I kind of refuse to do it. Mina and Michi comes out June 30th. It looks like something you played on the 3DS, which is something you played on the NES. Escape Sequence comes out June 30th. How do I feign excitement for all these fucking games with these little top-down 2D sprite pixel things just staring at walls doing nothing? Blaster Master Zero comes July 1st. Optimizer Series X Smart Delivery. I always wanted to love this game. I tried so fucking hard to love this game. I kept playing it on my 3DS. Never clicked with me, but now it's on Xbox. The Procession of Calvary comes out July 2nd. This looks like one of those old paintings you look at in a French museum and go, Wow, sure I'm glad I was born in the uh, 21st century where we have Xbox instead of goddamn paintings of naked women touching children's hands uh super destroy uh, super destronaut dx2 comes out july 2nd 
it's some Space Invaders knockoff shit. Treasure Hunter Simulator, July 2nd. It's a treasure hunting simulator knockoff, some Sea of Thieves knockoff shit. Walden comes out July 2nd. Not the book, it's the game. And that, oh, it literally is based off the uh, Throw novel, actually. Oh, cool. Epic World Game Explained, blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's, nope, uh, I'm losing my interest. Okay, and that's going to do it for all the game releases of the week. Guys, it's a new month, which means new games with gold, which means four new opportunities to be disappointed because Games with Gold is almost always shit. We got, for the whole month of July, Planet Alpha available. Go get download that now. Then, from July 16th to August 15th, we got Rock of Ages 3 Make and Break. Never heard of it, nor will I ever play it. From now until June, July 15th, rather, we got Conquer Live and Reloaded. Obviously, that's the highlight of the pack. Definitely go download that. Classic rare game. Um, and then Midway Arcade Origins, available July 16th through 31st. I'm excited to download that, but I probably will never play it if I'm being honest. But got a little Xbox OG content, some 360 content, some more modern entries. So there you go, guys. Some new games with gold. And that's going to do it for our week here on Xbox On. Sorry if this was a little bit of a boring week. I don't know what to tell you. There's some weeks where everything's hitting on all cylinders and the news is great and the commentary is great and the comments are great. And then there are weeks like this where it's like it just feels like not everything's uh, not everything's there. But you know what? It's not about having a great show every week. It's just about having a show every week. So fuck you you get what you get you don't you don't pitch a fit and until next week guys how are your dreams Your eyes.